0: thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church podcast recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message Thank you. What an awesome morning amen. Praise the Lord and to, to worship. I love I love that we have a team of people that wakes up early and praises God together. I think it's a it's a great thing. I know it's a lot of work, um, but man, I'm so thankful for it. I just feel like the gathering of believers would not be the same if we didn't praise. Um, It it really is a blessing. I I had a blast yesterday. Uh, We had a men's breakfast here at Banner Church, and it was nice and early too. It was 7 o'clock. For some of you, that's like your lunch, but for most human beings, that's breakfast. Uh, And uh, we had the opportunity to to, to come here and to gather and to really talk about friendship and spiritual friendship, which is a kickoff a little bit, not only of our men's ministry called Men of God, but also really kicking off this series we're going to start in August on friendship called The Lost Art of Friendship. And so that's going to be good. Everyone will be back in town. I'll be back in town. I'm excited for that Uh, (laughs) because I'd have some time with my family praying and believing for the next season. But I love being here with uh, the men of the church and talking and then going and serving. We went and served at Unite Phoenix. And uh, it was just honestly just it's very humbling. And I was just so honored to see incredible men of God serving and Man, I don't know if you know this at this church, but we're just blessed to be a church of some incredible people, uh, both there Saturday and, and here today, and joining us online from wherever they are, we're very blessed, and I'm excited to, to continue this series on The church on fire because I believe it's one of the most excellent things uh, that we can really evaluate is the church and the early church and seeing this really beautiful picture of a church full of the Spirit. And if you didn't know, let me be the one to tell you that there really is no other option for the church this day, this time, this generation than to be a church full of the Spirit. And, you know, there is the attractional model, and the, there's events and speakers and, you know, I don't know, concerts, all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, to operate, to move in the revival that God longs for in this city, we need to be a church full of the Spirit. How many of you know that this morning? How many of you are just thankful that it is not that we, we love our space, that we love our programs? How, do you, how many of you are just thankful it's more than just a Sunday morning thing, right? It's more than just checking a box. It's not like you check the box on Sunday and then you go home and you're on Monday and you're alone. How many of you are thankful that you're not alone Monday? Amen. The Spirit's with you, that God's with you. And so we're going to look today at the early church and continue our series. I was very thankful for uh, Brother Todd Forrest coming and speaking last week. Awesome man of God. Uh, but I want to I wanna really jump back into this incredible moment and We're going to jump into kind of a nostalgic moment for the early church. Is anybody here, you'd say, I'm a nostalgic person. Like, you love, like, the photo album comes out. You're about it. You like to look at old photos. You like to go back and remember when. Maybe you had a weird brief stint of scrapbooking. Maybe you still scrapbook no shade. It's all right. Uh, scrapbook away. Go for it. Love it. Uh, I, I personally am very nostalgic. I love to look back. Uh, I love to find, you know, find out about my, my family's history, and I, like, love going through old photos. I think it's so funny. Because you know, the, the younger generation, all the photos are just on different phones that we hope the chargers still work for. They're just living somewhere on some Dropbox that you forgot the password to two years ago, but Family Trip t- 2012 is there doing something just. I don't know, it got hacked a while ago. Now now it's, you know, people are sourcing images for, I don't know, a new burger place in, you know, central Beijing. I don't know where your photos are, but they're not there anymore. Uh, The previous generations, if you didn't know this, younger people, they did the same thing that we do with our phones, but they just put them in boxes and hid them in the attic until they moved, (laughs) or until you move, and then they give them to you. So I have boxes, boxes of photos that I've gone through. I found some super 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 old ones Um, like you know when photos they're not black and white they're like brown and white like I got some brown and whites it's like what did you print this on copper like they're they're amazing I, I love going back and I love being nostalgic it's fun it's fun to think about like man remember when remember when it was like this I love being nostalgic of even in my own life oh remember we had that trip or we had that opportunity we had that moment it's really really fun And in many ways, this uh, Acts chapter 4 verse 32 is kind of this beautiful, nostalgic moment of the church. But then immediately after, it's like pierced by one of the more difficult scriptures of Acts. So it's like, beautiful valley, and then it's like a bear killing a deer in the middle of it. It's kind of like this, this like very like uh, contrasting image. But I want to start, if we can, in the beautiful nostalgia. Can we do that this morning? Let's start in the nostalgia this morning. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Let me move my connection card that you can drop in the box on the way out. <laughs> Acts chapter 4, verse 32. says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of land or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And verse 35 says, And laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as had need. They laid it at the apostles' feet. Just make a little mental note of that, okay? They laid it at the apostles' feet. This is this great picture we get of the early church. There's really four things happening. It says they had unity in mind and heart. It said they were voluntarily sharing possessions. It says the leadership of the church, there was power and witness of the apostles. And it says they had the grace of God upon them. That sounds like an awesome church, right? That sounds awesome. Like, there's a pinnacle of like, man, how do we reflect anything? That sounds great. Just full of the Spirit, just operating in that way. And it says that they were united 100% with one heart and one mind. And it says also that they had all things in common, I just got to say right now, calm down if you're a young socialistly bent person here. This is not what they're talking about. This is not uh, state capturing of private property and redistribution based on uh, individual equity. This is not. This is a fully voluntary act of sharing where there was need. So if you're like, yeah, see, Jesus was a... No, stop. (laughs) You're going to see in this message a little bit of my philosophical anti-Marxism rise up. But... We'll get through it together. (laughs) What's interesting is is this beautiful picture we're seeing of the church is a powerful witness to the Greek culture with which they were surrounded in many ways. Because the the Greek culture, especially the, the Hellenists, they had this myth that in primitive times, as a reshaping of history, in primitive times... There was this ideal state that existed where there was no ownership of anything and there was no hierarchy. And that in their mind, this was like some ideal state that existed back in primitive times. Now, ironically, this turns out to be false as both philosophy and anthropology advance until a really scruffy looking a German outcast named. You know, Marx picks it up and decides, this is a great idea. <laughs> uh, but for for in general, it was considered a myth that this ever existed. Uh, but there was in Greek thought this idea. specifically with plato and the republic there was this idea that that private ownership had problems and so plato would talk about how can you affect that and people giving up private property and the reality is like people don't give up private property voluntarily and so unfortunately a lot of really bad philosophers and also political scientists have said well let's just take it from them (laughs) and you know war that's how war happens, right? In case you didn't know, that's one of the reasons. But in the Greek thought, they thought, man, there's some golden age that's going to occur. There's some golden age that's going to happen. And they developed kind of this Greek rule of friendship. And they said, okay, it's got to happen on the individual level. So true friends to the Greeks had everything in common, and they were of one mind. These were phrases that they would use. They had everything in common, and they were of one mind, which is the same thing that we just read in the book of Acts, right? The book of Acts. Aristotle actually says that a true friend is one soul dwelling in two bodies. And you can see the same idea reflected in Cicero. You can even see it reflected in the the Hellenistic Jewish writer of Philo. But what's interesting is the Greeks are longing for some kind of space that's decently, nebulously defined, where people are caring for needs, which, can I just say, was not a historically common idea to care for the needs of others, right, to, to, to care for those who, who had less. That was not normal. It was like, that's how it is. You have less. That's your fault. It was not normal. But they're idealizing this possible state that would exist. In the meantime, you have this actual Christian community surrounded by this thought, you have a Christian, commun- uh, Christian witness. Because what the Greeks saw as ideal, as just purely an ideal, the Christians had as a reality. And it wasn't motivated by the state. It was voluntary. It was motivated by love. Right? They didn't say like, man, we need to care for our neighbor. Let's have the government do it. Different message. They said... We should do it. Maybe Christians we'd have had, we'd have less to worry about if we didn't give the state responsibility to care for the people God told us to care about. And I want to commend the church for actually doing that. You know why we have hospitals? The church. You know why we have orphanages? The church. You know why we have foster care? The church. The church. The church. Because they cared. And it says they were operating in this space even at the beginning with great grace and great power. And then we get this contrast. You still with me? So here's this beautiful Christian community operating as the fulfillment of an ideology of people surrounding them. And then we get this contrast, verse 36. And we're going to like jump through a big old chapter five number and we're going to read straight through it. We're not going to stop because sometimes i think that we do ourselves a disservice when it's divided up by the numbers and it divides up a thought and i and i truly believe these thoughts are continuous they are separate but they're continuous in many ways so verse 36 says thus joseph who was called barnabas or called by the apostles barnabas that's important which means son of encouragement someone say encouragement, encouragement. great nickname son of encouragement it says a Levi, a native of Cyprus, it says Barnabas sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. It's a little bit of contrast here, Right? So we have one person, we have Barnabas, we have Joseph, who is nicknamed Barnabas, who is called Barnabas by the apostles, and that, that's a good sign. If you get, like, a godly a renaming or nicknaming from Jesus or an apostle, that, I feel like that's a great sign, right? That's a sign that this dude was up to some good stuff, he's get, and he's getting son of encouragement. That's a great nickname, Right? Like, they're not calling him something weird. They're calling him Son of Encouragement. That's an awesome nickname. If you read throughout the New Testament, you see this is is who he is. This is who Barnabas is. And in fact, most of the New Testament, he plays a powerful role as an encourager, as an advocate, as a helper. Uh, For example, when Saul has his Damascus Road experience... And he becomes Paul, and now he goes to be with the same people that he was trying to kill, like, moments earlier. (laughs) They're like, hard pass, dude. We don't believe you at all. And it's Barnabas who steps in and intercedes and says, no, 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 God has begun to do a work. When Paul refuses to take Mark on his second missionary journey it's actually Barnabas who takes Mark himself when the Jerusalem Christians are concerned with the orthodoxy of the Antioch Christians it is Barnabas who steps in and intercedes and encourages unity between them this is who Barnabas is he's kind of like the premier example of a follower of Christ in the early church you see the Luke's making a contrast. Luke loves contrast. Here is this guy, sells a field, totally voluntary, brings the sum to the apostles' feet, part of the format, and gives everything. And then here's Ananias and Sapphira. And we don't get really much of their backstory other than the similar format. They sold a field, except we're told something different. They brought, did they bring the whole thing? No, they brought what? What? They brought some of it, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and they schemed to keep some for themselves, which implies right there that it wasn't like they brought part and said, I'm bringing part, but that they pretended to bring the whole. It says he kept back some for themselves. They held something back from God, but wanted the full glory of what was happening around them. They're like, I like seeing this but I don't really want to give all the way into that. I don't want to fully do that. And so they begin to plot and scheme deception. And so I want to read uh, Acts 5, 1 through 11 here. And this is a really unique portion of Scripture. And uh, I'm glad for the opportunity to preach on it, and also I'm excited for next week. (laughs) <laughs> sometimes you just love digging through the word of God and you're like yes and sometimes it's just it's like man this is a lot of work and sometimes you don't get a nice bow I'm just gonna tell you right now at the end of the service there's no nice bow on this scripture you're like what does that even mean well we'll find out together verse one <laughs> Yeah, Christmas is coming. That feels more ominous somehow, Scott. I don't know if that relieved the tension. Verse 1, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, here we are, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? My goodness. He says, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Meaning, like, you could have said whatever, done whatever with it? Why is it you've contrived this deed in your heart? What's the deed? to keep back some say that he gave all. It says you've not lied to man but to God And it says verse five, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. It says after an interval of about three hours, His wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. It says, immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last, which is code for she died. In case you're wondering... It says when the young men came in, they found her. De- they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And verse eleven, understandably, it says a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. I, I'm the pre- I'm the pastor here, and I gotta say this is a wild portion of scripture, right? Like. This is an absolutely wild portion. Here's two people. They're lying about this. And, and and I know. I know there's someone here who's thinking like, well, you know, it's just that they did this. It's not just that they did this. I've read 35 commentaries on this. I'm telling you, like, this is a wild portion of Scripture. It is long-standingly debated on really what's happening here. There's things we can know and things we can't know. But what we can know is these people died. That That is... That's intense And so I I just want to I just want to pause here for a second I guess And say what do we do When a scripture is difficult Or uncomfortable Right When you're reading the word of God And you get to something Someone was asking me earlier They're like what about Elijah When they made fun of him for being bald And bears came out and mauled him Like what do you do with that yeah, that's on the list too. <laughs> right? And I know we're in an age. I know we're in an age where we, we know everything. But there's, there's some things we can know and some things we can't know. And there's some things that are so consistent through all the Scripture that we do know. And there's some things in this moment where we can learn from but still can't know everything. And so what do we do when we get to a Scripture that's difficult? Well, some people, you, you skip it. Say, I don't know. It doesn't fit into my idea. I'm just going to skip it. And people will say things to me, especially culturally. People will say, well, Jesus would never say blank. I'd be like, oh, you skipped some things. <laughs> you skipped some stuff. That's what it's telling me. Because I know when he did say that because it's written down. And we have a, it's in print. And I got on my phone, too, in like eight, 85 versions. But the other thing that we'll do sometimes is we'll have just what I would call wild exegesis exegesis is not jesus's new name he's not part of the x-men exegesis is an explanation or critical interpretation of the text and so what happens is people try to make like these really long-form doctrines out of very small amount of pages like if you lie today scott you're gonna fall down dead better not be lying to jesus offering time (laughs) it's like yeah all right well i see what you did there right what do we do? I, I want to encourage you that when you get to a difficult portion of Scripture, ask and do the work of asking, what is the writer telling their audience about God? Because it's written to an audience, right? Especially when you get to the epistles, but even, even this, Luke's writing this, he's writing it. What is the writer trying to teach his audience? About God, right? It's Holy Spirit inspired. What is He saying? Not what do you want it to say, or what do you want to skip it from saying, but what is He saying? And I want to look at it, I want to look at the scripture if we can through that lens. Verse three says, Ananias sells the land. Sapphira knows he sells the land they they basically put this plot together as it's shown us in scripture to be deceptive and bring an amount that's not really what they say and to lay it at the apostles feet to kind of join in everyone's doing it we're like hey we're joining in we're bringing our we're doing it and they're like yes I'm also there I, I get a t-shirt we're all in together right and they lay it down they've contrived this and Peter is full of the spirit I love this. Peter is, f- this is why it's important to be a spirit-filled church. This is why it's important to be a church where we, where we believe in the Holy Spirit. Because it is the discern, I know, I know tongues get on the billboard, but wisdom and discernment of spirits are in the foundation, right? So Peter is full of the spirit and discerns this guy is full of something else. <laughs> says he's full of Satan. Like, Wow! That is mean-spirited, and, and totally true. <laughs> right? He says Satan has filled your heart to lie to who? The Holy Spirit, not to Peter. Peter doesn't take it personally. I get, I got some awesome text messages this week that I did not take personally, because I can, I have discernment and wisdom, and I can sense the work of Satan. So it doesn't phase me. Like, well, there it is. He says, Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Ananias, full of Satan. Peter, full of the Spirit. And he says in verse 4, he says, You've contrived, so why have you contrived this deed, right? This plot in your heart? Basically, you're committed to deceiving someone. But who is Ananias really trying to deceive? Someone take a guess. Who is Ananias trying to deceive? Oh, it's okay. You can say it out loud. It's all right the Lord it's like the Lord like that's his house you can say his name it's okay (laughs) you're wrong it's like I guess he is killing people today I don't know (laughs) right who is he trying to deceive trying to deceive the Lord can I just tell you you could be the smartest person on earth with the best laid plan but it's a dumb move if you really believe God is who he says he is right that he and he's omniscient all-powerful omnipresent you would be like yeah but we're gonna pull it we're gonna get him It's like Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. Like, bro, he made the garden. (laughs) Like, a bush is not going to save you. (laughs) says he contrived it. And he says something important, right? You have not lied to man, but to God. He's tried to deceive God, which speaks to what he believes about God. Can I tell you, if you try to deceive the Lord, it speaks about what you believe about the Lord. The actions kind of speak louder than the words, right? Oh, I believe the Lord's true, but I don't act like it. I don't know. The actions speak, right? And so, verse 7, Peter brings Sapphira in, right? So the husband goes. They carry him out. They bury him. They don't do a ceremony. They just put him in a hole, take some three hours, hard dirt, like here. They come back. I mean, this is a traumatizing day for these young men, right? You just came. You thought you are going to minister to some widows, maybe do some orphan feeding. All of a sudden, you're digging holes out into the desert, Wild West style for people who were struck dead by God. Like what? You just saw this woman die, and you're just like, let's let's bury her. right <laughs> bury her. Let's bury him. Don't tell her. <laughs> don't tell his wife, right? She comes in, they ask the same question. Peter says, you sell it for this much? She says, yes. You think Peter was hoping she would say no? Just repent? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody have kids and you ask your kids, like, hey, did you take this? They say, no. Then you go, this is the next step. Are you lying? And you can just see the little gears clicking in their brain. <laughs> like, do I double down on this? Do I really go for it? Do I say yeah, my my kids would be like, are you lying or are you telling the truth? I'm like, are you lying? They say, No. So are you telling the truth? And Henry will just be like, No. <laughs> it's like, okay, we got there. We got there, but. But Ananias and Sapphira, they're 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 lying to, to God. That's what they're doing. They're trying to deceive the Lord. And I have to say, though this situation of, of people. I'm bringing the feet being struck. This is the you know only exact moment like this we see. This is not like something we see happening every weekend. It was like, oh, it's a Friday, people are getting struck down. It's not common. It is common that deception and lies tried to sneak into the church. Amen. It is common that deception and lies tried to sneak in, especially to the early church, and masquerade as truth. And there's something you need to know is that the enemy is always trying to destroy the church. If you are the church, the enemy hates you and wants to destroy you. We need to be on the same page here, right? The enemy always trying to destroy the church. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, not to cuddle, not to give trophies to, not to cook up a nice pancake breakfast. He seeks to devour you, church. We live, I think, sometimes in this idea that the enemy is neutral, but he super hates you, and you need to know that. The enemy's always trying to destroy the church. One of the ways that he tries to destroy the church is that he injects lies in the place of truth. He tries to distort and twist right from the beginning. What does he come to even say? He says, not like, aren't apples great? Don't you want some pomegranates or whatever it is, right? Don't you want some, I don't know, whatever whatever you think that might be. Whatever it might be. He comes to her and says, did God really say that? That's clever, That's smart. Did God, you ever had the enemy say that to you? Did God really say that? Are you sure? Don't you think he would have fulfilled it by now? Don't you think, you know, like things would be, did God really say that? Why do you just try to do it? Did God really say that? With Jesus, right? Satan jumps in. He says, doesn't scripture say? Didn't God say? How come we're out here so hungry? 40 days, man. Make some bread. So Barnabas is this example of the churches that should be but Ananias and Sapphira are really this example of the church under attack and the church perverted. I don't know if you knew this but most a, a good amount of Jesus speaking and a great deal of the New Testament is warning of threats to the church. It's warning of threats to God's church. And there's two two threats. That, that, that really get addressed in a lot of the New Testament. One of them is the Pharisees. Someone say Pharisees. Pharisees. One of them is the Pharisees. There's enough asses to get kind of snake-like in it. Pharisees. Yeah. He warns of the Pharisees. Jesus says, beware of their leaven. Right? If you want bread, you can have unleavened. Flat, you want leaven with the yeast working through it, making it big and puffed up. He says, beware of their influence. And he says, because they perform deeds to be seen. That sounds a bit like this moment, doesn't it? They perform deeds to be seen. They perform even their generosity in front of others so they can be seen as more generous, more spiritual than they really are. But he says, woe to you Pharisees, because you put a burden on others that you yourself don't even live under. That's called hypocrisy. You're putting all these laws on people. You're putting all these things on people. You don't even do them. And he looks at the widow with her two little coins and says, she's given more than all of these. He said, beware, beware. Beware of people that seek glory. Beware people that make the faith all about themselves and their glory and lifting themselves up about them and what they do. I'm just spiritual. I do my spiritual thing. That's not how this works. Our Ananias and Sapphira. So if I were Pharisees, we don't know that. I heard a message. A guy was like, they're trying to sneak into the church. I, I, I read it. I don't know how to, I couldn't find it. But, <laughs> but I understand where he was saying is like, man, that is very much a pharisaical attitude. Right? And that way he was right. It's very, it's very much of the attitude of a Pharisee. Look at me. I want the glory, but I'm not really going to give God everything. I want the little mark of like, get the little cross, put a little scripture in my Instagram bio. Like, you know that's, that's, that's not taking you into the gates, right? The other one is false teachers. Someone say false teachers. False teachers. If you read a lot of the New Testament, you'll see this. And it's, I mean, it is aggressive. If you ever read the New Testament and you want to see someone get aggressive, look up Jesus talking about Pharisees. They're like, dang, bro, chill. Or, or look up like John talking to false teachers in John one 2, 3, you're like man this dude is pissed right like he is so serious about it because it was a very serious thing there's always this warning even in Galatians 5 9 he says beware because a little bit of yeast works through the whole dough a little bit of bad teaching works through the whole thing there was a constant New Testament warning of, be careful of false prophets. Be careful of people teaching lies and perverting the truth, specifically saying that there are ways to heaven other than the ways to heaven, Jesus Christ. That's why in Matthew seven fifteen Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward are ravenous wolves." Jesus, Peter, Paul, they all have said over and over, beware of people who teach perversion as truth. Church, culturally, beware, beware of perversion taught as truth. So we have this really shocking moment. Are you still with me? Really shocking moment. Ananias lies dead. Dead! Sapphira comes in, wife, obviously not super possessive of him, hasn't texted him in a couple hours, doesn't know, boom, dead. Dead. Why? I mean, Simon the magician is going to be three chapters away, and he does almost the same thing but doesn't die. And I sense fire dead. Very similar. Very similar settings. I think there's something happening here. You're like, well, is God killing them for lying? No. I think I think if God killed us when we lie, I think attendance would be down next week. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm taking a guess. But there was something happening where they were lying to God. They were deceiving God, which puts into the question, are they following God? Was God punishing them? Maybe. But not in the way you might say, like, God was disciplining Because if God does discipline, God does discipline, Uh, but as a father who disciplines, I've never killed one of my children to send a message to the others. (laughs) Remember what happened to Joey? Eat your vegetables, right? (laughs) That would be bad across the board. Don't kill children. It's bad, right? So what is happening here? And I think one of the things that we can know from this, because we know God from Scripture, all of Scripture, is that God does protect His church. God protects His church. The church is Christ's bride. And I think sometimes we forget that because, we, you know, it's our church. But it's His church, and it's Christ's bride. And i got to tell you, like married men, how many of you, someone came in your home to poison, like just bringing a rattlesnake to poison your wife, you would throw hands so tough, at least, at least hands, right? <laughs> if not the thing that rhymes with funds, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and Fullets, right? You know, you would use different things <laughs> to your ends. Yeah, <laughs> whatever it might be, whatever, you're, right? You would protect your bride. Not that bad things can't happen to the church, but, but I think about it this way. Uh, if, I, uh, if I were to get stung by a scorpion recently, I think Delaney got stung by a scorpion, but Delaney's tough as nails, and so she made it. Skin of her teeth, she pulled through. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of poison in a scorpion. Now, what would happen if an infant got stung with a scorpion? It could be deadly, right? It could be deadly. It's the same thing. It's grown, you're strong. The church in Acts 5 is in its infancy, It's in its infancy. And so the deception and the poison that's trying to get into the church, I believe, is incredibly damaging. And I believe contributes to some of the severity with which God acts here. Because God protects his church. God loves his church. And I don't think he's letting that baby get poisoned. Can I tell you, even in this church, God has removed scorpions, and it is it is painful when it happens, but man, it's so nice when he's done with his work. And there's a thing that I guess false prophets need to know. Maybe someone is on YouTube, and they're clicking through, thinking they're going to make some mess about something random, that God actually takes his church seriously. Are you hearing me today? God takes his church seriously seriously God hear me God takes regard God takes his church seriously he is serious about it when we bring in lies and call them truth hear me God is serious about it when we bring in lies and call them truth I met with my brother Marcus. He was here first service, and the first time we ever, we ever hung out first time, he was like, hey man, he's like, you got a heavy weight like on you as a minister because like if you start messing up, if you say something, something that's not on board, he's like, I can just leave and go to another church. You have to stand before God and give an account for it, and I was like, i'm josh good to meet you <laughs> it was like i swear i swear uh, he'll tell you it was in the first it was like the first thing he said to me i was like this is going to be a unique friendship for sure welcome let's go to we were at atl i think literally right here and uh and talking but he's right and, and can i tell you that th- this has been an interesting week for me uh Because often when things happen culturally, I think it's important that the church knows where we stand. And just in case you're wondering, yes, people do say the craziest things in response to that. But I just want to tell you, if you're here and you think you're going to come against me when I speak the truth, or you're watching online and you think you're going to comment, I am way more afraid of God than you. I mean, I'm not afraid of you at all. But I'm way more afraid of God. Right? Like, I don't live in fear of God, but I know at the end, I, I don't stand before Gilead in heaven. I stand before God, right? I, I, I don't stand before God. I stand before the Lord, right? And, and as a church, you, you stand before the Lord. And, and so we can't hide. Now, we're not like running around throwing it at people. We have to stand for what is true and biblical, we have to culture says like oh you can't teach that you can't say that Christian you can't stand for that I, I just I have to tell you take the bet and say I, I'm going to bet on God here and because I'm, I'm going to stand before him at the end and if I deny him if I try to deceive him oh man I'm stressed on that <laughs> I don't want that at all and I might get it wrong in an attempt to get it right but I'm always going to lean to that Because God protects his church, and he does so right here. But the question for us is, what the heck do we do with this? What do you do with Acts 5? How do you apply that? Like, well, don't lie. Sure, (laughs) I agree. (laughs) But I think there's a broader question that is brought up here in response to this. Because in Acts 5.11, it says a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, I told you, uh, anti-conflict people, you know who I'm talking about. Like, you, you don't like tension. If you could, you'd crawl under your seat during moments of tension or just maybe walk out. This is the moment where you're like, i got to refill my water bottle, right? Like, this, this is that space. i got to tell you, there's not, like, a great bow on this for Acts 5. <laughs> like, it's been 2,000 years. Not a great bow, but there is a great application. There's a great understanding that comes from it because there's a good question. And the question is, is there anything I'm withholding from God? And that sounds tough, but I'm going to tell you in just five minutes why that is a very important and freeing question. It's a question of freedom. So anything I'm withholding from God, Ananias and Sapphira, they pretended to be in operation with the Holy Spirit, but really they were were living as hypocrites in operating with the enemy. Their hearts were not filled with the Lord. Filled with the Holy Spirit, I mean. It's, Peter says, you're full of Satan. Right? They've decided to commit this blasphemous act. It was all an act. They went to church. They did the things. They got the Bible at. They did, the, you know, But they had Satan in their heart. And they were withholding a portion, though in this case it was money, from the Lord. And there's something you need to know about Jesus. You might have a nice little Jesus painting where he, he looks like way too white. And he's got really long hair, and uh, he's holding maybe like a sheep or something. But you need to know something about Jesus is that he detests lukewarm faith. He detests it. And that sounds like he's being mean to you, but it's because he loves you too much to accept it. And I'll explain. This is what I mean. Jesus detests. it. Says he's, he says, be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. Why? Because there's something broken. When outward we say I'm following Jesus, but inward our heart is rebellious. So that's not nice, Jesus, spitting us out like, oh my gosh. But I just want to I want to tell you today that it's actually incredibly loving, because Jesus refuses to accept what will keep us from true freedom. Jesus refuses. You can dress it up however you want. You could pretend it's as spiritual as you want. But if it's not true surrender to him, he won't accept it because he knows it's just mass slavery. Are you with me this morning? Jesus teaches in Matthew 25 that he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, those who really walked, those who really obeyed, and those who were just paying lip service. He said, Lord, we did this for you. And he's going to say, away from me. I didn't even know you. Whew, you ever read that? And you're like, whoo, whoo <laughs> I know perfect love casts out all fear, but feeling a little fear. <laughs> when Paul teaches communion, what does he warn? He warns them. He says, listen, some of you, you've, you've said things, but you've not made a decision in your heart. You're taking communion, and you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in 1129, he says, for anyone who drinks and eats without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself, that's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Here's something important that we understand about Jesus. Jesus' arms are open wide, but the way is narrow. His arms are open wide. Hear me today, no matter how you came in here or found us online, God's arms are open wide to you. Jesus embraces you. He welcomes you. Look at his ministry if you need proof, right? He's bringing everybody in. Soldiers, tax collectors, prostitutes, right? Everybody. Uh, uh, Greeks. uh, Samaritan women, right? He's He's bringing people in. His arms are open wide. But he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not, I am a way. I'm not a truth. I'm not a life. I'm not a eternal life, an eternal life. He says, I am the way. The road is narrow. Unfortunately, oftentimes, we want that benefit of Christian spirituality without the surrender that it takes to follow Christ. It's kind of like we're sitting on a fence and we see the green pastures of the good shepherd, but we also want to have one foot like the prodigal son in the pigsty and staying in that. And we wonder why it just, it doesn't feel right. And it's because we think we can balance in that place, but it's just a place of deception. It's really just astroturf. We think the real green pastures are over here in surrender. The real still waters are over there in surrender. And the reality is the reason Jesus says, I won't take lukewarm, I won't take when you withhold, is because he longs for us to be free. He, we, we, can, we can put whatever we want, make it all spiritual, put a nice little sheet over it, put some Hello Kitty stickers on it, paint on, whatever shapes you want, some cool stars, whatever it looks, man, that's so beautiful. Put some rims on it, whatever you want to do, I don't know. But it's not if it's not full surrender to the Lord, then it's not freedom. See, the other road, it looks nice. It's nice and open. It's really bright. It validates our sins, so it makes us feel good in the moment. But there's no freedom there. Church, we need freedom. When we withhold things in our heart from God, if you're on the fence today, like, man, you know what, I'm just going to hang around for a while. I'm just going to, man, I just, make the choice. Because on the fence isn't freedom. When we hold on to those things, we lie to him, but it hurts us. We rob ourselves of freedom. There's someone here today, and you are just holding on to that sin. You're holding on to it. You're holding on to that, to that lust. It satisfies in the moment. But in your heart, you know something's broken. You know that's not the green pastures. You know that's not the still water. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't feel peace, you feel anxiety. Because you're not walking with the good shepherd and the good shepherd calls you in and his arms are open wide but he says listen the way is narrow repent and repentance is not a bad word i know when you watch a movie and there's a preacher and he's up there and he's sweating he's yelling about repentance and so it sounds scary and mean he's got an aggressive southern accent and his suspenders and you're like man i don't want whatever this guy's selling but i'm here to tell you repentance is not actually a bad word it's a good word that frees us give it to the lord and let him free you some of you you're holding on to unforgiveness you're on that fence you're like man I, I like what this jesus guy's talking about but he said forgive as i've forgiven you he put that in his prayer and then afterwards he said if i don't forgive i'm not forgiven." he's like man i'm stressed on this but i, don't, I just i want to hold on to this unforgiveness can i just tell you you're you're only hurting you you're only putting a mask on this slavery it's like he's flung open the jail cell and you've hung a curtain. He said, come out. come. I'm not going to accept, come out. No, just talk. No, come out of it. Some of you, it's pride. Even in trying to follow Christ, it's about you like you found a way to make it all about you and God is saying be humbled hear me be humbled now God's humbling it's going to be an experience for you but I want to encourage you invite God to say humble me I give you all of my pride why because that's the only place freedom is you know what I wish you know what I wish Ananias and Sapphira had done I wish they had said you know what God man uh, we're not withholding you know what we're seeing is we're seeing you move we're seeing freedom we're seeing lives change we don't want to withhold anything from you we give you everything then i wouldn't need to preach acts five at all it'd just be about freedom for many of us i want the same thing i want freedom for your life and the question is am i holding anything back from jesus Ben, you guys can come up the question is, am I holding anything back from Jesus? And I say this because this is not like applying this situation to your life. Like, you've got to walk around now and be afraid of being struck down. Like, next time we have, a, like, a pastor coffee meeting, you're going to be full of anxiety that I'm going to say, Satan's filled you, and then you're just down in the middle of a Starbucks going to have some young men go out and bury you out in superstitions. But I think it should lead us to a point of true reflection. Can't things in Scripture lead us to a point of reflection? Saying, wow, God, you're taking this serious. It cost you your son. You came to bring us freedom, not slavery. And you won't accept slavery. And you love us too much to leave us in slavery. And to say, no, slavery's fine. Yeah, you stay there. Oh, as long as you're happy. As long as you feel good. I just want to validate your feelings. Yes, I know. I know you're an Enneagram 4. I just want to soothe you. Here's an Instagram post. No. God's saying, Get out of there. Get out of there. It's like, why are you holding back? Why are you holding back? Why are you holding on to bitterness? Why are you holding on to pride? Why are you withholding that? Bring that and put it at my feet. Bring all of your heart. Bring the offering of your heart. and Put it at my feet and see that I will not bless you and use you and strengthen you is there anything I'm holding back from Jesus? Is there anything I'm holding back from Jesus? Would you stand with me this morning? I just so appreciate you guys as a church as we walk through just all the word of God. Just the heart to receive that, it means a lot. They're not always as fun to write messages on, but I think they're important to us if they lead us to the point of asking this question, is there anything I'm holding back from Jesus that I've not surrendered to him? Is there anything I'm holding back from him? Jesus, I've, I've not given you unforg- my unforgiveness. Jesus, I've not given you my whole heart. I've not given you my future. There's things that I've kept for myself, I've withheld. I've been doing the dance, I go to a small group, I do the thing, but man, I'm, I'm withholding things. I need to trust that you are Lord and I need to give it to you today. Would you just bow your heads? I just want you to focus on that question. Take a minute, wherever you are. Head head bowed just in a moment. Maybe you need to lift your hands, whatever it is. Just begin to ask him, Jesus, is there anything I'm holding back from you? And if there is, just begin to say, God, I give it to you. I give it to you. Maybe you've never experienced the freedom and power of a new life in Jesus Christ, and so today the thing you've been holding back is your life, and you're just like, God, I give it to you. I give it to you. If you're in this place this morning, and you're saying, Jesus, I just, I want to give you everything. I'm not holding anything back from you. Would you just lift your hands with me? I want to I want to be honored to pray with you this morning that the Holy Spirit would begin to minister to your heart. Jesus, I'm giving you everything. Maybe for some of you, this is the first time you're just saying, God, I'm giving you everything in my life. Jesus, I just pray right now. I thank you that if anyone is in you they're a new creation the old is gone the new has come the old is gone the new has come and I pray this morning God that our hearts we release we lay down at your feet the things that we've held on to God for the one who has held on to that sin and tried to try to live in both worlds God but knows that it's false knows in their heart that that's not how this works knows that it's not working right now I pray right now they would just say God I give you everything and I trust you with everything God for the person who's been holding on to hurts and bitterness and unforgiveness I pray right now a release by the power of the Holy Spirit come for the person who's been struggling with pride I pray a release of pride. I pray you even right now, you would soothe their heart, that you would speak to them and you would release that pride over their life. And I pray Holy Spirit right now as we are in this moment of reflection, I pray you would minister to their hearts. Just wherever you are, stay right here as the band plays and leads us. Just stay in a moment of reflection and wherever you are, just begin to say, Jesus, I give you everything. Holy Spirit, would you come in and minister to my heart? Come in and minister to my heart. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.